Welcome to the Wrong Way Go Back podcast, the podcast for the mistakes we make and the learnings from them. In this episode is myself, Benjamin Lupton, and Ness. This is our very first episode together recorded on January 8th, 2016. In this episode, we talk about perceived sexism in workplace environments, the role of attraction in its evolutionary basis, as well as biomods and what they're doing to fix, enhance, or solve some evolutionary traits that may not actually be necessary in this modern world and whether or not that's actually a serious thing or whether we should just laugh at it. Now I do want to apologize in advance for the sound quality issues. This is our first episode and we made some mistakes. We've learned from them which is one of the goals of the podcast. We kick off this podcast with a clip between cricketer Chris Gale being interviewed by Mel McLaughlin. In it Chris Gale expresses a desire to date Mel, the interviewer, and it kicks off a huge uproar of sexism in the Australian media, apparently. I was not familiar with this at all, and Ness briefs me in the podcast. So without further ado, here's a clip followed by the commentary. Enjoy. Incredibly aggressive approach for you to, it's like you're absolutely just smashing this in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I want to come and have an interview with you as well. That's the reason why I'm here, so just to see your eyes for the first time. It's nice, so hopefully we win this game and we can have a drink after. Don't blush, baby. <laughs> It's really brought up the sexism debate in the media. People in Facebook have been uh, having this big to and fro and posting videos of old footage of female reporters openly hitting on male athletes or male interviewees and saying, like, this goes both ways. And then there's been all of these reports, like, seven other female sports reporters share their sexism experience in journalism and like these other big clickbait headlines like journalism is a man's world uh, women fighting back and then other people saying that you know this kind of an issue making headlines is a great thing because it's trying to prove the point that it's not okay for a man to openly ask somebody out and be a little bit kind of sleazy about it on national television and like humiliate her because apparently this guy has done it a lot and he does it to assert his dominance in the conversation because he's getting interviewed about cricket, like masculine sport by a female. So he'll say something to make the reporter feel uneasy or to like misdirect so he feels like a hero. That's what they're saying. What's the ultimate conclusion of where that goes? What, men just aren't meant to make any moves? Well, I think there's a time and a place though, right? Like I wouldn't expect to be hit on at my workplace. When would he, he meet that girl again? He's a cricket player though. So I don't really think he would struggle to find women to meet and talk to. If he's like, wow, this woman's really hot, maybe I, I could, we could have some fun time together, right? Then when else is he meant to say it if she's a reporter? Are you meant to mix work and play there? Is that ever a good idea? No, it's not like they're having sex on TV. I think a nice big fat flashing neon light lesson is do not try and hit on your co-workers or people that you are involved with in any kind of professional way. But they're not co-workers. They're not co-workers though. They're not going to see each other every day. It's still a professional environment. 
he was getting interviewed about his job and then he's just like, hey, I know that you're busy right now, but do you want to go do something later in front of a camera that was airing live? It's like, don't do this, don't do this. And it was also really awkward because if you look at the footage and watch it again, it's kind of like the whole way through the interview, she's leant quite far back from him. So it's like she was uncomfortable before it even started. That's what I got from it. She's come out post-interview and said that he's apologised. It's fine. She just wants to move on and get back to her job because it's turned into a circus. But it loops back into a topic of attractiveness because he got really distracted so he wasn't really listening to what she was saying. And she wasn't even wearing anything that... Oh no, she was definitely doing the Jennifer Lopez, I'm sexy. Do you think? Yeah. Wait, wait, he just said, so I can see your eyes for the first time. That's what made her uncomfortable, right? Yeah. He said, that's why I came to do this interview. It's irresponsible, but it's not wrong. I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's just like one of those things of like adults being adults. I would say it's not really fair because it kind of like, if I was in her position on live television, reporting on sport, something I'm passionate about. I write articles for the newspaper. I've reported sport all around the world. And this guy comes up to me and he doesn't want to talk to me because I'm a good reporter or I'm good at my job. He wants to talk to me because I'm pretty. It would just be a kick in the teeth and you'd be like, for fuck's sake. What? Like, if you want to get investment in money, you wear a suit. Right? Like, your physical appearance plays a huge role in who you're actually going to be able to talk to and influence. Right? If you're going to do a person, yeah, so if you're going to do a personal development course, you're going to dress as if you're successful. You're not going to rock up there with like board shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt or like a wife beater, which is a singlet in Australian terms. Yeah, but why does a woman's success necessitate her being hit on at work? Because she's dressed for success, meaning that, you know, sleazy cricket players are allowed to make me feel uncomfortable. Well, it's not a, it doesn't necessitate it. It's not as if this is a forced interaction, as if, like, if she ever wants an interview, then they have to comment on her, right? Like, to necessitate would mean that it's a requirement. Right? And it's not a requirement. Like, some people do it and some people don't. But the fact that you're saying that it's okay kind of means that it's... She should just brush it off and it's part of her job. Sure. And I think this whole debate is hinged on that idea that why should it be okay? Why should she have to just brush it off? And then you have the other side of the fence going, well, look at all of these clips of female reporters low-key hitting on really gorgeous men. I've got a good example for this, right? Have you ever seen any of the Craig Ferguson interviews? No. So, pretty much every single interview Craig Ferguson does with a female, there's some sensuality involved in this, right? He's a complete womanizer. That's an instance where it's like, you know, they either accept it or they don't. It's just like, it's part of the job as like a celebrity or in that public face. Like you've got two attractive people, you know, varying degrees. Like you, part of your job of being out there is to be attractive. So people actually have a desire to watch you. People want to watch people who they feel attracted to 
or approachable to. And this isn't just sexual attraction. This is attracted towards. I feel that I could get along with that person, right? Like you're not going to spend that much time watching someone who you feel you hate or you despise or who you are unattracted to. And part of that is you learn in coaching or in high tiers of management and things like that, all sorts of techniques of managing employees appropriately and, and conversing with people in, in ways that are attractive in regards to like one instance is like for hugging or meeting people for the first time. The, the best way to do that is to have like your palms exposed, like actually have your arms down, you know, with your palms exposed as if you're going to like hug someone but from the lower end. Because what that says is like it's the complete opposite of an aggressive pose because you're showing you have no weapons and you're completely vulnerable. When the folded arms pose is very much different, which is you're protecting your vital organs um, from attack and you will be ready to attack. So it's like, you know, the, the dogs wagging the tails or, or whatever, or like the cats with their ears go back. So humans have the exact same thing. And part of being, you know, attractive is to display science that says, hey, I'm approachable and we can have this conversation. And if you're going to be talking with thought players, you still want to do whatever it is that is going to get the views and get the interviews. And part of that is to be attractive. Unfortunately, like, well, I don't even think it's unfortunate. Like, that's one of the things. It's just like, should this attraction even play a part? And it's, it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a world or reality where that actually does make sense that that attraction should be ruled out of this. That is a very good point. So do you think attraction is an evolutionary thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, why else would it be in every single animal? Like, of, of sentient abilities, right? Um, like a jellyfish, I'm sure, well, they're attracted to light and not. Dogs wag their tail to say, hey, I think you're friendly. I'm going to be open to this, right? And like for cats, wagging their tail is an aggressive pose, which is why dogs and cats, in you know, have some conflicts. Um, so like for cats, like their ears go back um, and, you know, they go down and things like this. Like it's, it's a very instinctual thing. And like for humans, we have the exact same stuff. Like if you tick someone off, they start, you know, leaning forward, they start covering their, their vital organs. When if you've got someone completely relaxed and leaning back, their organs are exposed. And, you know, these are things like part of just body language, which is our interpretation of emotions um, in other people. And these are all important stuff. Like if we couldn't detect if someone is aggressive, then we're going to get knocked over the head and be out of the gene pool. Right? If we can detect that, we're going to defend. If we can't detect if someone is, you know, okay with us being there, then we may go into an aggressive stance and lose that opportunity. But it's funny though, because it kind of goes into the Gamergate situation, or one of the things that Gamergate was construed to being about, which was the, the sex or sex betrayals in games. And it's like, when you have a game, you always have the woman in a bikini, and then you had all the third-way feminists saying, this is outrageous, that, you know, the women in, in media or in, in comics or in games are always portrayed, you know, very sexualized bodies in regards to, you know, boob, boobs and, and nice figures or whatever, right? But then, and then the, the contrast for this is to then show the guy character wearing a bikini. And it's just like... This completely makes no sense because we don't judge guys by the boobs, right? Like if you got the girl and then you uh, made the girl sexualize in the way we sexualize men, then what you'll have if you have the girl with a six pack and big rustly arms and maybe like a beard and, and 
you know, all the images that we associate an alpha male to, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't sexualize a man by how well he wears a bikini. That's someone just being stupid. Sure, but it does like tie into the the same aspect, which is like for men, you know, a, a comment about nice suit isn't interpreted as 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 a sexualized thing, even though it is completely about attraction. It's like for a man, it, it's very much about the the status that defines his attraction, which is as well like that's a famous sports player, which is why he's being interviewed. He's got that status, which is why he's being interviewed. And then, like for a woman, instead you have entire industries around how they look, right? Like the supermodel pageants and things like that. Like their status is very much in how they look. But I think that that's what people are trying to step away from. So you think that it's impossible? Well, I think so because it's undermining biology. I'm not saying like it is probably a good idea or a bad idea. It's important to be aware of it, but I don't think it's it it's. It's okay to say that this isn't okay or this is wrong because this is just just the way things are. But isn't there that really silly like proverb of like bad things happen when good people don't do anything? But what is the bad thing here? I think females feeling like they are not worth anything more than a pretty face. Then on the flip side, you have a male doesn't feel he's worth any more than a salary he pulls in. It's very true. Right, and like these are just the gender roles that that have perpetuated our our human evolution since since forever, right? Like if we weren't for these things, then then it doesn't make sense. Now, you know, if you don't believe that, then what you have is like the arguments that uh, Milo Yiannopoulos um, speaks of, which is then. If you have a woman, then she devotes her most fertile years to going to work, and then her baby clock kicks in, and it's like, I really want a family right now. But now she's like over thirty-five, and her her, her uterus and her ovaries and her eggs are starting to dry up and not be as performant as they were. And now the chance of Down syndrome and other birth defects and stillborn babies and and all the other things of failed pregnancies or deformed children come in. Like they increase year on a year. Like if you're having a child at, at 45, the chance of Down syndrome is huge, and that's very much a reason. Like the biologically, those are the fertile years because they're the year, like you know, 20 to 35 or even younger, depending. You know, if you eliminate cultural prejudices, then those are the most fertile years, and therefore having children, and then afterwards, then you know you can enter into the workplace and whatnot, and actually have the family and have the work, rather than doing the work and then missing out on the family. Do you think it might be partially because we've added all of these unnecessary new things into the timeline of our life? So way back when our lifespan was nowhere near forty-five years old, and we were put on the earth to pop out a baby and die. And now we have all of these other things that are consuming our time, like careers and having the right house and wearing the right clothes and going to the right schools and the right clubs and reading the right books and listening to the most popular music and, you know, creating this really, like, rich little life bubble for ourselves. It's not a surprise that we are now falling victim 
to something that is blown up to a point where we can't control it anymore. Like this idea that women are in the workplace and having careers and competing with each other and with men, like that's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. And it's something that, you know, like it's like don't throw stones in glass houses. We did it to ourselves and now we're complaining about it. It's a little bit pointless. And so there are people that are trying to beat the system and going off the grid. It's nice to think about, but it's the whole thing of human beings have created their own world to live in, whereas other animals are just happy staying the same way. But we can't seem to create a balance between the natural world and the one that we have created. So this whole attractiveness thing is part of our nature and it's in conflict with the ideals and the challenges and the debates that we've created for ourselves. It's a confusing time to be alive because there's half the people that want to go back to the basics and the other half of people that are full steam ahead. Today I was talking about futurists, which are like people that are getting different mechanical implants to enhance some kind of sense that they have or some part of their body. So the cyborgs. Yes, which I just think is absurd. Just like, what are you doing with your time? But that, that's pacemakers and defibrillators and, and the implants for, for preventing um, pregnancy. This woman has a chip in her arm that allows her to feel earthquakes when they're happening around the world. Is your, I guess, concern there is that before with those other ones I mentioned, they're not altering a sense. When with, with this one, they're actually altering senses or improving senses. Is it about the senses that woman? Yeah, I think it is because, you know, there's a difference between f fixing something that's broken and adding something completely erroneous or helpful. And the thing is, is, she doesn't use this chip for anything other than to create an interpretive dance as a reaction to the feeling of the earthquake. That was her point of it. And this other guy, he has an antenna on his forehead or on the top of his head that translates colors into sound because he is colorblind and wants to be able to see color and so they decided that they can't change anything about his eyes that he will be able to see color but they can help him see color as a different sound that's actually like a thing um like it's a you don't need a, a thing for that like you can take some mushrooms or lsd or whatever like the, and confuse colors with sounds like it's kind of like a hallucination, but it's like a documented thing. I can't remember what it's called. I think stuff like that, it's not really, there's no point to it. It's like people like getting like a, a mechanical tail inserted into their body so that they can wag it when they're happy. It's like, why the f*** would you bother doing something like that? So there's like a few points here. And which one should I go with first? Let, let's go with the, the glasses, right? Like right now you're wearing glasses and that still enhances the sense, right? It enhances the sense of sight and then you can have laser surgery and then that can enhance it. But, you know, let's say if someone's completely deaf and then they get a coacella implant, right? And then that enhances, like that's still a cyborg. Like they've had a mechanical device like inserted to enhance the sense. 
But it's to the point that something is broken. Like my sight is broken. I can't see without glasses. So I get glasses and then I can see in the way that a normal healthy eyesight is. The same with someone with a cochlear implant. Like I have this beautiful friend that was born deaf and now he has two cochlear implants. And he said to me, music sounds like eight bits, like old 80s computer games, but he still loves music because it's something that up until he was however old he was when he got his implants that he had never heard music before. And so music is a big part of his life now because his hearing was broken and then he has an opportunity to change that. And now he can hear people it's not in the same ballpark or at least not in my opinion and like my mother she's got a pacemaker because her heart rhythm can't sustain itself so she needs something that will help keep her heart beating so she doesn't die and there's people with diabetes that have like insulin injection timed so they don't have to worry about it because they might forget and if they did then they would get sick say somebody is trans and they have a penis made for them they put an implant in the balls that is like a little pump so it can actually give them an erection i guess in that way it's not the same in a direct way but in a mental way it is the same so it's like it's fixing something that's broken it's not giving me a constant lsd trip just because i wanted to see colors like come on so it's it's a it's the perception then that if it's a new sense then that's weird, but if it's fixing it an existing sense, like one that humans already have, then that that's fine. And like that's probably a, a sensible thing. But then you have to ask, is that actually sensible? Because Homo sapiens came out in Africa two hundred thousand years ago, right? About fifty thousand years ago they started resembling, their behavior started resembling more of what we consider to be human. So it says, they began to exhibit evidence of behavioral modernity about 50,000 years ago and migrated in successive ways to occupy all but the smallest, driest and coldest lands. In the last hundred years, this has extended permanently to other places like Antarctica, you know, landing on the moon, things like that. Now, now, I know like 40,000 years ago, we started our migration from Africa to other places. And, you know, during that time, we developed agriculture and agriculture was the most important part of that migration because we can't migrate if we're depending on fruits or local food. We need to be able to have dry food that will last a long time in order to do a migration. So the invention of agriculture of starches, so like barley, wheat, rice, things like that, that could be dried then allows for people to migrate long distances because they have dried foods that contain a lot of energy and then that allowed the, the migration but the the weird thing is and like this is probably any rpg gamer i i would imagine like people who play juice x or any other type of these cyborg games like it's very much to be said why are we in bodies that are wired for a world you know two hundred thousand years ago why, why aren't we in bodies that are wired for the modern world that is so vastly different? For RPG players, this is very much the case, which is why should our, our bodies still be the one around 200 years ago, 200,000 years ago, adapted for the world of 200,000 years ago when now is different? And 
a great example of this is the fight or flight response and the stresses that we now have. Like before, our stresses were very much, oh shit, there's a lion. And, you know, time to fight, fight it or flight, right? And, or, you know, if there was like a war or, you know, a, a, a conflict of tribes, then there's also the tend to be friend thing that's primarily a female response while the men fight or flight, right? So the women would tend and be friends, so take care, like, you know, group together and then tend to the children and befriend other women um, to take care of that and form unity in that area while the men, um, you know, being physically stronger would go and fight the, the bad guys or, you know, flight when something's, you know, an arrow is coming towards them, right? And, but the world we have now, like the majority of people living in a city don't have any need for, for these, these responses because there's not going to be a tiger. So, but instead of everyday stresses and modern living, we're now having this response. So there's very much cases where our body is antiquated in ways that are no longer beneficial or serving to, to the modern world. And why not introduce new sensors then that can help with those things like radiation may be one which makes sense to have an implant now, now that humans generate lots of radiation from nuclear reactors and stuff. So being able to know when something is radioactive or a new sensor on our tongue so we can know specifically which things are actually poisonous and which things aren't. That could be cool. Talking about stuff that's actually helpful in I'm talking about stuff that's just ridiculous. Like someone getting an implant so they can feel an earthquake and then do a dance about it is just a waste of time. Well, so this rolls into like another conversation about like the collective in regards to we're losing a, a sense of individuality or individualism and you know where we're doing that and we need to find more extreme ways of, of presenting ourselves as individuals. So like I watched a Vice thing about, it was like polyamorous unicorns in London. And these people were doing things that were, were far out on the, on the ridiculous scale, which is that, you know, they would wear, you know, unicorn stuff and there'll be glitter and there'll be like a glamour corn or there'll be like, you know, they had different types of unicorns and they were associated with that. And, you know, like sure you can be said that, okay, this is quite ridiculous and whatnot. But at the same time, like it's what's working for them at the current time. That's, you know, in the end, they ended up a lot of them getting psychological help and then, you know, getting out of that community because they found out the reason they were creating these things was for psychological issues that they had. But it's like for a lot of art and things like this, like for a lot of music, like I think I'm sure there was always times when people were like this music is is horrible. Why would you even delve into this? And yet through that artistic expression of that personal experience that that artist had, you know, it came on to be related to other people in ways that other people didn't understand. So that's the first episode of the Wrong Way Go Back podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you got something out of it. Now you can follow us on Twitter and interact with us on Twitter at WWGBTV. On SoundCloud, it's the same wwgbtv and on our website at wrongwaygoback.tv now we've included the show notes for the episode in the podcast description so you'll be able to find all the citations for the things that have formulated our opinions and for the data of those opinions if you've got better data if you've got better citations 
Link us to them. We're always happy to improve. That's what the realm of critical thinking is about. So let us know. Let us improve. Let us improve together. Keen to do that, and that's what the podcast is about. We've got plenty of upcoming topics for the mistakes we've made and the learnings from them, and keen to have you join us on that journey. So tune in next time, and we hope you do. Have a lovely day. Goodbye.